Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the DCS One Community Podcast. We've been on hold uh, for a few months. Um, as you can imagine, the COVID pandemic um, just kind of upended a lot of our operations. And so we thought it'd be fitting, uh, fitting resumption rather, to just go ahead and discuss the topic that has had our podcast on hold as well as you know our lives and agency just upended. And just to discuss... Um, our role and the DCS response to the COVID pandemic. So welcome back to the DCS One Community Podcast. Um, the intent of this podcast today is just to discuss a general overview and share with our listeners um, the DCS response to COVID-19, as well as talk just a little bit about our response to the social justice demonstration. Um, a lot has happened since we've uh, last recorded our podcast, and so we're joined today uh, with uh, three gentlemen who are very instrumental in leading the DCS response. We have with us today James Bergman, who just celebrated on July 1, 30 years with the state. He's our director of special operations. We also have coordinating chief Corey Beggs with the Atlanta Judicial Circuit. Um, he was very instrumental in organizing our response in the metro area. And we also have uh, IRT commander for District 2, Mr. Carter, Carter Hillman, um, joining us today to share his perspectives. He's been with the state for about 14 years in various capacities. And Corey, our coordinating chief in Atlanta, has been with the state for about 20 years um, in various capacities. So, gentlemen, thank you all for joining us today. We look forward to just a great general casual conversation um, on COVID-19 and uh, and how it's impacted us as an agency, our response to the agents uh, to the COVID nineteen pandemic, our preparedness for it, and just an overall general discussion to educate our listeners and just engage our department on our response to COVID nineteen. So with that, we'll just kind of jump into it. Um, so pretty much, you know, COVID nineteen it upended our operations and just. Um, James, if you want to just discuss your role in leading and coordinating the DCS response and how you were impacted and Corey and Carter, if y'all just want to jump in and just discuss your various roles um, that you all had in leading and coordinating the DCS response. But James, we can just kind of start with you and Corey and Carter, just feel free to jump in uh, whenever. Okay. Well, good morning. Um, near the middle of February is when we really started trying to to start tracking the virus and watching the progression and thinking about how it might impact DCS. And by the end of February, the governor's office was advising us to begin making formal contingency plans. And at about that time is when I was asked to take the lead in developing an agency-wide operational plan that would become effective if the situation continued to deteriorate, which, you know, of course it did. So when the public health state of emergency was declared um, on March 14th, in addition to planning and communicating our plan for DCS, special operations also became involved with deploying officers to support the statewide law enforcement response. Um, as, as you know, the, the state of emergency frees up state resources to assist local communities. And uh, with that in mind, we started receiving calls to, to help provide our resources, which are mostly uh, personnel resources. We started with providing security at strategic national stockpile distribution sites around the state, and that kind of expanded to include enforcement of isolation and quarantine orders. Uh, we provided assistance in enforcing curfews and other orders in Albany. Um, worked numerous COVID testing sites, including, including the huge Georgia Tech site, and continued to support that COVID mission until the end of June in, in various ways. 
And then as far as the demonstrations, um, I received a call from the commissioner at six o'clock on a Saturday evening on May 30th. And he had received a call from the governor's office that evening requesting immediate assistance. We deployed officers to Atlanta that night and then additional officers to other locations around the state in the following days. And we continue to support that mission for the next month or so through the first week of July. Okay. Um, Corey or Carter, you got anything to add or did you might want to add on that? Uh, here in Atlanta, it was, it was a big thing for us because we had to balance the uh, general operation. When we modified the hours, we had to, to figure out how to uh, tailor that traffic that came into the office uh, and, and keep our officers safe in the community. And then while we were balancing that, that general operation, we had to turn to those special operations and ensure that we were covering those also. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a lot for us to juggle at one time, but, uh, the, the, the leadership did really well here. Uh, the same here, uh, basically we started off with the SNS site in Albany and then we was activated in Albany. And I guess we'll go in to, you know, some of the, stuff we was doing or the areas that we help the APD and Sheriff Department out with because we work overnight uh, during the apex of the pandemic in Albany. So uh, we was trying to basically enforce the governor's initiative for the uh, shelter in place order. So. Yeah, let's talk about Albany. I mean, Albany garnered national attention. It was one of the first um, cities to really garner that attention to show how an outbreak can uh, spread through a community pretty rapidly from a small setting. I believe a funeral uh, there in Albany is what led to a widespread community spread. Um, even our Albany office had to close ahead of some of our other office closures in our response. So um, if you yeah, just feel free to kind of share some of those insights on on the Albany response and your role in kind of coordinating and leading it from the IRT. And some of our listeners may not even know what IRT is. I know we know it means immediate resp uh, response team. But um, if you could just kind of you know, educate our listeners as well on what IRT is, y'all's role in the response, as well as the Albany response, I think that'd be uh, good leverage for us. Okay, yeah, uh, like you said, while living in this district, you know, I've seen firsthand, you know, the alarming numbers that, you know, in the cases, the death toll that was going up uh, in Albany, you know, on the news. So I, I kind of, you know, knew that we was going to get called out to assist with Albany. So when we was activated by uh, the Special Operation Bergman, Mr. Young and Jeff, you know, they, they told us that we'd be working overnight to basically enforce that shelter in place because a lot of, you know, the, the, the main reason it was spreading because they, they wasn't, you know, following the regulations and guidelines that was set out. So it was a lot of people just out after night, still going along with life the same way as if the pandemic hasn't hit. So, uh, we was, virtually a mainstay in trying to enforce that shelter in place and also the city ordinance that Albany had adopted trying to have all the uh, restaurants, uh, the businesses closed at a certain hour, also stop vehicles that are out past the actual shelter in place time that was given in Albany. So we, we helped with that. And also it was a time that, you know, criminals, 
uh, opportunists basically took advantage of the situation, being that a lot of burglaries and, you know, break-ins happened because, you know, it was like a ghost town because nobody was out. So a lot of businesses went, you know, un, uh, we had to secure those businesses, sometimes sit in front of stores, businesses, buildings and as such, and kind of just provide that security so they wouldn't take advantage of that situation. And as far as IRT, uh, we basically, we, we provide that security during those crises. We've worked uh, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, uh, even the protests. And during this pandemic, we're, we're, we're like a first responder. And I think our main goal and basically providing the community with some form of security as a security blanket. You know, during that time, you know, a lot of people get nervous. And I, I can remember a older older uh, woman coming up to me and just saying that, you know, they feel like it's going to be a purge of some sort. And she wanted to thank us for just providing that safe and that presence during those times, even during the hurricanes and, you know, protests and and especially this pandemic. Yeah, that's excellent. That really speaks to um, our core mission of, you know, kind of making a difference um, in the communities we serve by providing that protection to those businesses and that property, as well as I love the example of of the lady that came up to you. That's exactly what it's all about. Um, just kind of switching gears a little bit. Corey, um, you were very instrumental in the Atlanta response at Georgia Tech was one of the first uh, testing sites publicly available to folks. And so kind of describe your experience with that Atlanta Georgia Tech testing site with the COVID response and um, how it was, you know, how we were able to get that off the ground from the DCS perspective and, you know, make a difference that way as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a really nice site. Um, it, it was a five deck parking deck four of, four of the floors we used as testing sites and each floor acted as an independent uh, testing station where DCS staff tied in. We were tied into the uh, security and the traffic management aspect. Um, it took a lot of coordination to get all those vehicles from one floor to another get them through the testing site, get them into a uh, results. Uh, they, they actually waited for their results. It, they usually popped out in about 15 to 20 minutes. And, and uh, DCS staff helped manage that traffic, help things go very, very smoothly. Um, there were some days, I worked a day there where we ran over a thousand vehicles through that in one day. And, and we were from oh, wow. nine to uh, usually we started to slow down about four, 435. And um, that just tells you the volume. And, and these officers were on their feet all day. Um, we, we received some of that same uh, praise from the community when we were moving towards the testing site. The public would come by and thank us. And there were several, several times where, uh, as we were closing shop for the day, we were heading back to our vehicles. And, and people were, I remember we were standing there with the, uh, we were tied in with, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Kennesaw State University Police Departments were all on helping out in the effort. And we were standing there with all, all those agencies and people were coming by and taking our pictures and, and thanking us at that point. So I know it was needed um, to, to piggyback off of Hillman, that, that security blanket. It, it was needed for them to see that, that people were out there and, and trying to help. 
So I, I think that uh, we, we had a big presence there and, and the officers did a great, great job. That's excellent. James, anything you want to add on that perspective? Any experiences that you realized um, in the COVID response? Uh, not not so much that. I, I would just point out that DCS was um, probably the, the largest law enforcement presence um, at the Georgia Tech site and, and that we were there early on and and for much of that, uh, much of that response there. And um, as far as Albany goes, I, I also wanted to point out that Carter and his um, team down there were involved in some kind of interesting things and even were among the first responders to arrive on the scene of a shooting down there. And, and uh, I just think, like you pointed out earlier, they truly made a difference in every way in, in the actions that they took. Yeah, it can definitely be emotionally demanding um, during times of crisis, um, especially with us having such a large presence and that taken away. Uh, you know, we're not really taken away, but we having to provide resources rather, um, you know, to uh, this pandemic as well as focus on our core mission. James, do you feel like, uh, especially with us being uh, able to leverage technology as a part of our agency culture, um, do you feel like that reliance on technology helped us be more prepared as an agency? Um, for instance, I remember uh, in talking with Phil Sellers, our uh, chief information officer, he mentioned how our use of the Google Hangouts uh, just skyrocketed the first week of the pandemic. And that really suggests that our officers and employees were you know, quickly able to adjust to the stay at home orders while still you know, supervising offenders. So do you think that leveraging technology being a part of our agency culture, how did that really uh, help us be more prepared? Um, and, you know, it kind of comes across as we were you know, more prepared than you know, other uh, similarly situated departments. So do you think our, I guess kind of just what our reliance on technology and how that really helped us uh, be more prepared for this pandemic? I think absolutely. It, it, it put us out ahead of the curve in terms of being able to quickly adapt to, you know, um, mandated teleworking instead of, you know, we've, we've teleworked since day one with DCS and we've allowed folks to work from alternate locations and uh, the IT team equipped us with everything we needed to do that. And um, so under these circumstances, it allowed us to immediately move to an operational standard where we didn't have to go to the office anymore and we could do everything that we needed to do from from a remote location. And I, I know in talking to Olivia and about her budget team, uh, she mentioned that they thought there were going to be times when they just had to come into the office to do certain things, especially as we got closer to the end of the fiscal year. But she realized that there were most of those things that they needed to do, they could do from remote locations as well. And I think um, our IT team equipped us well to be able to do those things with a, a minimum amount of interruption and, and on top of that, even even in dealing with offenders in our communities, we were able to do that through, uh, through technology as well so that we never had to stop dealing with offenders and, and the issues involved there. We were able to do those using technology as well. So absolutely, it was a big deal for us. Um, just Carter or Corey, any uh, perspectives y'all want to share on the technology front and how um, anything that you all noticed uh, during this pandemic on how our reliance on technology kind of helped us, uh, you know, prepare better for the pandemic yes for me like james was saying uh it, it has helped basically keep us safe also like just dealing with offenders and you know in a new aspect during this pandemic i think is very beneficial for you know both sides so you don't have that much you know traffic going into the office or coming out 
And the way our office is doing it, you know, it's only a limited amount of officers that can be in there. And, we, you know, we following all the guidelines set, set out that, you know, that has been emailed through the phases. So it's very beneficial and, you know, saving money and, you know, uh, we're not using as many, you know, as much, you know, gas, you know, we seeing our offenders, we, we making them, you know, uh, walk through the houses, you know, via Google Google, Google Hangout, and it's, it's very beneficial for us. I, I would agree. It um, it allowed us to keep the, the, the supervision model rolling. It allowed us to at least keep contact with our, our uh, offenders. We also utilized it in treatment aspects. Our DRC uh, set up methods on how to do virtual treatments, which was huge because uh, we didn't miss a beat when it came to treatment aspects and rehabilitation like that. I think the big thing for us here in Atlanta is it, it allowed us to have a peace of mind. Um, this is one of those responses where, uh, you know, we've done tornadoes, we've done hurricanes, we, we've manned different uh, special events that our officers could see and understand and process and know that they're capable of handling that. Uh, this is one of those situations where it was completely unknown. It was a, a new thing that came over us in a wave and, and with us allowing our officers to modify their work, to be safe at home, allow them to be with their families in a in kind of a time of unknown. Uh, I think that that did a lot for their mental health in the beginning. And then I saw a lot of officers start coming into the office <laughs> to help their mental health. But um, it, it, it did something to allow us to, at least in the beginning, uh, huddle up at home, make sure that the home life is good, balance work, and still continue to be productive in, in supervision. Uh, yeah, Corey, you touched on something uh, really interesting there about the emotional emotional demands of the job. Uh, law enforcement, especially our unique situation in community supervision, because we touch so many areas of the criminal justice system, is already kind of emotionally demanding. Um, so, just James, Corey, Carter, if you just want to discuss some of the, you know, how we how our officers dealt with. Uh, some of the emotional demands. I know, Corey, you just said the officers started, you know, coming into the office. Um, but were there any kind of examples or episodes that our, you know, officers had that just really tugged at them emotionally? Because, you know, like I said, all the the job is already uh, emotionally demanding. But then you add and compound it with the pandemic. You know, it can really, um, you know, get a little out of hand. I know the Georgia COVID nineteen emotional support line. Um, it provided 24, it still currently provides rather, 24-7 uh, free and confidential assistance to uh, law enforcement. And so we definitely want to make our uh, officers who are listening aware of that resource. But um, just if y'all could just describe some of the emotional challenges our officers faced and um, how we kind of work together as a team to overcome them. Well, uh, for me and my team, uh, like uh, Mr. Bergman had uh, spoke about, we responded to an actual shooting and my team was basically, you know, some of the first officers to arrive on the scene and it was a fatal gunshot wound to a young man. And, uh, it was an all night episode where we worked. you know, we set up perimeters, you know, we dealt with the family members trying to 
you know, come in the barricade and trying to deal with them emotionally and also keep the scene safe. So APD could work the crime scene investigation. And it, it was determined that it was a gang affiliation type shooting between two rival gangs in Albany. So, but after the fact, you know, James, Kent, and uh, Jeff, they reached out to us. You know, they gave us the EAP. They actually came down to Tipton where my whole team met with the EAP coordinator and, and Mr. Jeff Ross, and they discussed how it affected us emotionally, you know, during the actual event and after. And, you know, my team basically said, you know, during the time it was, you know, work as usual, it didn't affect you. But at the end of the day, when you think about a young man losing his life, you know, it, it do affect you, you know, even though you're working and you, you're trying to stay in work mode, but, but it, it, it kind of dawns on you and, and, and gives you a, a perspective on life and, you know, what this job entails. So we did get, you know, like the peer support and uh, they, they did a great job on, you know, seeing if we needed time off or, you know, how it affected us. So, but I think everybody came out good. And like I said, DCS did a great job on, you know, keep, uh, you know, keeping us in mind and how it affected us. And too, I think going into these things, many of our officers were already apprehensive about their own health and safety and, and that of their families as well. And, you know, on the one hand, they were trying to avoid other folks as, as the CDC was telling us to do. And then on the other hand, we were asking them to put those feelings aside and work these details that we needed to work. And that was putting them in harm's way, so to speak. And, um, for the protests, we had officers who had moral conflicts due to their strong feelings about the protests and the reasons behind them, and you know, rightfully so. And um, it was emotionally draining, I think, for a lot of our officers. And in, in my mind, there were several things that helped to overcome those challenges. And the first one is that our officers just have a deep sense of commitment to serving the communities that they live and work in, and they believe in doing something for the greater good. And that you know, that mindset makes it a little bit easier to, to step out there and, and do the things that need to be done. And then second, we have some, you know, we're blessed with motivated leadership that care about their staff and they're willing to lead by example. And, you know, we had circuit level managers as well as district directors and even others in senior management who worked shifts alongside officers and took an active role in recruiting volunteers. And Chief Beggs is a good example of that. He he worked tirelessly to ensure that the shift rosters were filled in Atlanta. And he also just as importantly worked numerous shifts himself to make sure that the officers were taken care of and had the leadership that, that was needed. We had members of the senior management team that visited some of the work sites and made phone calls to the officers that were working just to check on them and to let them know how much they're appreciated for doing the job. And then too, there was that sense of camaraderie. You know, sometimes it's hard to put yourself in harm's way when you're on your own, when you're doing something by yourself. But if you know you have coworkers that are with you and who have your back, it makes it a little bit easier to deal with. So, you know, from my perspective, I think those things made it just a little bit easier to, to deal with some of the stress that was that was involved with the mission. Corey, you want to jump in and add anything? Um let me pick, piggyback off what James said. It was it was really important for us to to be out there, at least leadership wise. I have a, an extremely young staff that has never seen anything like this. The the last time we saw any sort of 
um, joint uh, protest on, on this magnitude was probably the G8 back in 2004. Um, we've never seen a pandemic like this in our lifetime. The, the last time we saw something like this in the United States was 1918. So it was important for my staff to at least know that, that the leadership was going to be out there with them. I, I, I know that <clears throat> I got a lot of comforting looks. Um, <clears throat> it was it was a really uh, an, emo an emotional experience I, I, from, from dealing with the pandemic, being out at Georgia Tech, because these officers, are, they weren't just looking after their safety. They were worried that if I get something, I'm going to take it home to everybody else. So that weighed on a lot of their shoulders, and, and I could tell that that was weighing on a lot of their shoulders. When we went out to the, to the uh, demonstrations, there was some conflict. I, I have a, a predominantly black staff that, that went out there and did their duty, and, and uh, even though some of their thoughts were with the, the people on the, the other side of those uh, shield walls, um, I think that that over time, and and I saw it that that it was key to understand each officer how they operate and and pull them off the line when we needed to allow them to do other things. Um, it, it, it it's a huge thing to say, hey, just take a day, work from the house, take a breather, and. The, the leadership and the my staff at least watched each officer as we we moved through those so it it, it did take us a, a a huge emotional toll here in Atlanta but um, everybody did really well what were kind of what would y'all suggest as some of the lessons learned from this you know I believe we were very prepared as an agency but you know there are always some lessons that you can learn um, from from something especially something of the magnitude of this pandemic. You know, given, you know, although we were very prepared, what were some of the, I guess, the common perspectives that folks were sharing? Were there kind of things that y'all kept like hearing from officers? Um, like, were there, you know, certain sentiments and statements that kept being said? Anything that kind of phrases or things that just kind of like can't get out your head because of the pandemic or whatnot? You know, any kind of lessons learned or just kind of common themes? You know, any Corey, James, Carter, just you know, jump in whenever. I'll talk on, on the, the Atlanta front. What the uh, the pandemic, I think, once they figured out what that detail looked like, it was really well run and it was extremely safe. So once that that fear of the unknown was removed, I think that they they gravitated and, and executed that job. When you switch to uh, the social demonstrations, the the common theme that I heard was training and equipment. But here's the caveat is all they were doing was, was watching the news and thinking that they were going to be shoved into the front line. And when, when we were manning these, these details, uh, the leadership would, would inform officers, this is the way we're going to be deployed. And once a, uh, an officer is kind of in the know, that, that I think believe that anxiety was lowered and they were able to execute the job in which we were deployed. Um, I don't. I don't think that an officer understands that that we do very technical training when we go through basic, but they're hired for those people skills and and their ability to adapt to these situations. 
And I do think that some of the officers were, were saying that they were hard in what they were trained for, but didn't have enough confidence in themselves. Remember, as an agency, we didn't have any experience in this, and there, there's only a few of us that have been around long enough to have dealt with things like this before. So when you deploy an old hat in, in amongst a bunch of raw recruits and say, okay, we're, we're going to be all right, guys, that I think that was a, a tremendous factor in, in the success on those, those social demonstrations. I think Corey hit the nail on the head. I, he brought up some really good points, and I, um, you know, we've we've made it kind of our a priority with special operations and dealing with some of the other agencies that we deal with to make sure we educate those agencies and GEMA in particular on what we can and can't do and what our officers are trained and equipped to do and. You know, they, they realize and they understand that we're not equipped to work those front lines in riots and crowd control situations. But like Corey pointed out, our, our officers are uniquely qualified to work under the conditions that those protests and, and riot situations bring up in that we know how to deal with angry, frustrated folks. You know, we know how to, to take action when it becomes necessary, but we know how to de-escalate situations. And our officers were de-escalating before that was a buzzword, you know, that it is now. And yeah, part of the job. Yeah. We, that's right. It's part of the job. It's what we do every day in dealing with offenders and dealing with people in the community. And so it puts us in a, in a good position to do the things that we are tasked with doing during a disaster. And that's working with people who, whose patience may be short because they're dealing with something that's totally unknown to them as well. And they're dealing with things that are frustrating and, and scary to them. And, and we know how to deal with that. And then as far as the lessons learned, you know, from for me, I, and Corey hit on this as well, is, is communication. Because we had those officers who were apprehensive about going into these situations because they really didn't know what they were getting into. And on one hand, we heard from folks in the field that the level of communication about COVID was very good, and they really appreciated all the information that went out. But then as the protest evolved and as we started sending folks to, to deal with that, um, maybe our communication could have been a little bit better in terms of explaining exactly what was needed. And, you know, that's a lesson learned. I think communication can always be better. And I think we can do a better job of making sure that everybody understands what the needs are and what the expectations are and making sure that everybody knows what, what we're going to do when we arrive on the scene as much as is possible keeping in mind that all these situations are so fluid and, you know, sometimes we don't know until we get there exactly what, we're, what we'll have to do. Cool. Uh, Officer Hillman, anything you want to add on that? Uh, yeah, I, I think Chief Biggs and uh, Mr. Bergman hit it right on the head. I think with the pandemic, I think we all had that, you know, one common goal is to, you know, stop the spread of the disease as most as best we can. And, you know, uh, uh, enforce that governor's uh, initiative to, you know, stay in, stay inside uh, the shelter in place. But I think it was a lot different when it came to the social uh, issues, especially with the protests and, and the George Floyd situation in Atlanta, because like you said, it, it was a lot of, you know, black people like myself that did, you know, have that, you know, I don't know. It, it was almost such. It was almost like a 
you know, I don't know. I'm for justice. And I think one of the best things I seen was the one take Wednesday when our uh, commissioner basically, you know, had that one take Wednesday. And it basically changed my perspective about everything because he hit it right on the right on the head because he was so passionate and, and, and gave that, you know, great speech on, you know, what everybody was dealing with. And I think that calmed a lot of people in my uh, district. Some of the, some of the uh, common things I was hearing that, you know, they, with a great leadership, that's when people start following you. So with, with all the leadership that we have seen during these trying times in 2020, but like you said, because it's, 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 it's been a year that we dealt with so much and to have leadership, you know, display, you know, that type of leadership, it, it, it goes a long way from top to bottom. Absolutely. Well, uh, this has been an excellent conversation. Um, we've shared a lot of good perspectives and inf- valuable information um, that are definitely going to be of benefit to help uh, educate our listeners on the DCS response, the demands of that response, some of the lessons learned uh, from that response. Um, just any closing remarks uh, that you all uh, have, uh, James, we can start it with you. Uh, just any closing remarks that you all want to share. Again, thank you all for the uh, your courage that you've lended to this uh, response, your leadership, your just your coordination, your capacity, just so many different skills you've leveraged um, to position DCS to have had such a meaningful response to the pandemic, as well as the social justice demonstration. So, James, uh, you can start us off with any last words. Um, and Carter and Corey, just feel free to just jump in with any just kind of last words. And just again, thank you all for joining us on the One Community Podcast today. It's been a great, uh, very eye-opening conversation um, that we hope our listeners really uh, take a lot from. Well, Brian, I really appreciate the opportunity to um, to speak this morning. And I, I want to just say how very proud I am of the DCS response to both the COVID crisis and the, and the protest response. And I just want to say how proud I am of all the officers who stepped up and worked maybe one shift and then several of them that worked several dozen shifts in some cases to report to support the response. We had over 400 officers statewide that participated and every one of them did an outstanding job, whether they wanted to be there or not. You couldn't tell the ones who volunteered to be there from the ones who were voluntold to be there. And I, I greatly appreciate that. The officers I came into contact with all had great attitudes. They represented DCS well. They set a high bar for for um, professional conduct. And in addition to that, I, I do need to give a shout out to my team on special operations because they went above and beyond in coordinating the response from day one and until it until our deployment ended. And they worked just countless hours, day and night, weekends, just like just like our other officers in the field have to to get the job done. And I, I certainly couldn't have done it without them. And I, I appreciate everybody who took a hand in it. Yeah, Brian, I'd, I'd like to thank the Atlanta staff. Um, I, I'm being a little, uh, I, I, I'm really proud of them. They, they did step up. I know they shouldered a lot of the burden um, of both the, the, the COVID response and the, the demonstration response. Uh, I'd like to thank my leadership team um, for all that they've done. And I, I want to thank all the officers that came into Atlanta. I, I know a lot of them came a long way all over the state. And that really makes a difference when, when 
just for a moment, we can take an Atlanta officer off or an IRT officer out of that mix and put put a uh, an, another officer from a, an area that may not be as affected. Um, I really appreciate that, and and I think DCS as a whole did did an extremely good job during the, this time. Absolutely, you got to praise your own uh, team. It's a poor frog that don't praise his own pun. So you got to got to thank the home team. Carter, any uh, kind of departing words for us? Well, again, Mr. Toos, I'd like to thank y'all for letting me speak uh, on the podcast. And I would like to shout out all the IRT members because I know a lot of times we get left with the dirty work. And, you know, we travel, you know, up and down the road late night, you know, doing a lot of stuff. But it's worth it in the long run. Like I said, we all one family, even the DCS, you know, officers that do work hand in hand with us. And I'd like to give a shout out to the special operations from top to bottom from Mr. Bergman and anybody that, you know, have worked during uh, these two, uh, the pandemic and the protest. So uh, I think, like you said, the communication has improved. I think the camaraderie as a whole with DCS has improved during these times. So uh, I think it's brought the whole DCS community closer. And that's exactly what we want to do um, is bring us uh, together. That's actually the intent of this podcast is to share these perspectives um, in the place where our uh, officers and employees can uh, share these perspectives. So again, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners, be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at Georgia DCS. That's Georgia all spelled out DCS. Um, uh, be on the lookout for more uh, content from the One Community Podcast. Again, uh, thank you all. Thank you all so much. And uh, we look forward to having uh, very enriching conversations such as this in the future. And thank you for just coming on here and uh, just being transparent with our listeners on the DCS response to COVID, as well as the social justice demonstrations. Um, again, I'm Brian Tooth, Director of External Affairs for the Georgia Department of Community Supervision. And thank you all for listening to this uh, recording of the One Community Podcast.